Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being back again. We are in the book of Jude, uh, talking about three individuals in the book of Jude of Cain and Balaam and then Korah. And we've kind of spent a couple weeks talking about Balaam because it mentions Balaam's heir. I'm going to read out of the book of Jude so we don't forget where we're at. Then we're going to go spend the rest of the day in Numbers uh, looking at the situation that Balaam got himself into. Uh, the idea here that Jude is writing around 55 A.D. to the churches around 55 A.D., that there was people within the church, leaders within the church, that are taking the, making the heir of Cain, taking the way of Cain, or making, taking the, making the heir of Balaam, or participating in the rebellion like Korah. And so we'll, we'll come back and put that all in context here in the book of Jude. Uh, but as we mentioned before, Jude wanted to write about the salvation that the people shared uh, together in Christ, but that truth, that doctrine, that word that was talking about that salvation was being overridden by false teachers, people that were interested in, in their own interests, their own greed, and they were using and twisting the teaching in the, in the church <coughs> for their own advantage. And so he's warning them that they need to contend for the faith. Do not let them steal this truth. And so instead of, in this case, instead of talking about the truth, he's talking about those who are undermining the truth, saying you cannot let this happen, helping to distinguish between the two. Uh, the challenge we'd have today is do we have, as a Western church, do we have the capacity to distinguish truth from error? Do we have the character or the Spirit of God to actually reject those that are in error? Not just those with our little petty differences, but are those that are actually misleading the church. Some are like, well, we want to be Christian. We don't want to be identifying people as false teachers. That would be not very Christ-like. Uh, well... If you don't identify the false teachers, they're going to overrun. You could consider the false teachers little doctrinal terrorists, if you would, and they need to be eliminated. Um, and that is exactly what Jude is doing here. Uh, Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. I'm urging you're going to have to fight for the doctrine. They're, they're going to steal the truth from you if you don't fight for it, uh, meaning it is a battle. If you're not fighting for the truth, someone's stealing it from you. Uh, these people that are, they have, it says, uh, they are for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, meaning throughout history, people like this that have occurred, if it be, in, in the book of Genesis, if it be in Israel's history, if it be in Jesus' ministry, wherever it was, these people have been condemned for what they're doing of snuffing out the truth and replacing with their own doctrinal error. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. That's your first sign. God is loving. God is graceful. God is, is forgiving. God will accept you as you are. Okay, let's stop right there. And so we don't need to change. And now Christianity becomes a license to sin. You twist the grace of God into permission to just keep living the way you want to live. Uh, and that would be the first sign of taking God's character, God's grace, twisting it, not contending for the truth, but twisting it into your own air, and that's what they do, into a uh, they change the grace of God into a license for immorality, and in doing so, they deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign. They're actually cutting off their way of salvation by denying Jesus Christ. They'll keep Christianity and the grace and forgiveness, 
but reject Jesus Christ, the actual Savior, and now you've got this secular humanistic religion that sounds good, looks good, and it'll be completely against what we're going to talk about in the book of Numbers of what takes place there, the cursing and killing and all the stuff that's going on there. It doesn't sound very Christ-like. We want to be over here in this twisted grace into Christless Christianity, uh, very similar where we are at today in our culture. Verse 5, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of, now he goes back to Old Testament examples. You already know the Old Testament, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but then destroyed those who did not believe. First he delivers them, and then he destroys them because they didn't believe. So just because God comes to deliver you doesn't mean you've got it. You're going to have to actually believe and follow the Lord. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. I mean, he created the angels, put them in a place of authority, says, you do this, we've got them all organized. They abandoned their own homes or their place that was assigned to them and says, well, we've got our own ideas and left it. These, are the, these, are, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. So although he created these angels and put them in place of positions, once they decided to do it their own way, it's like, well, I'm done with you and locked him up and says, I'll bring back to judge you at a later time. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And so right there, they could at that time, they knew it, they could see it. We are excavating it today. Uh, it's an example of if you're going to act like Sodom and Gomorrah, this is the way you end up. Not just sometimes, Every time, it, it's like it was written about long ago, this is the way God is going to deal with this kind of behavior. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, uh, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. It wasn't his own personal ideas, his own personal vengeance. It was we're just following the truth, and the Lord has rebuked this kind of behavior. We're following the Lord, so this is a rebuke from the Lord, not anything personal. Yet these men speak abusively of what they do not understand, and that would be the spiritual matters, and what things they do understand, natural things, by instinct, like unreasoning animals, meaning they don't even reason, they're beyond even morality, they are the very things that destroy them. Now here's the thing, verse we're looking at. Woe to them! These are the leaders. These are not people outside the church. These are people that Judah's saying they're in your church leading. You're going to have to fight these people, contend to keep the faith because they're taking you away from the faith. Your leaders are taking you away from the faith, twisting the faith, denying the Lord, and bringing you over here. And we've seen this pattern over and over. They're leading themselves and you to destruction. And he says, Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. Instead of following the way of the Lord, they've created their own religious system. They have rushed in for profit into Balaam's heir, and that's where we're at. They're going to try to follow God. They're going to do what God wants. But once they see that there's a chance to gain profit, they're going to nullify their following God and go after profit. Uh, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Uh, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They're your shepherds. Uh, but they're not leading anybody to green pastures but themselves. They are clouds without rain. They look like they're bringing something. Looks like a storm's coming. Look, we're going to get some rain today. Nope, they just blow over and never drop anything useful. 
uh, without fruit, uh, or autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea following their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. And so we're looking at the heir of Balaam, and we're going back to Numbers chapter 22. And we are going to finish this today. Um, I do want to review a little bit before we get into the text, see if I can pull this off without being totally inept. What we have right there, there's a generation word logo right there. (laughs) All right. And this is where we are heading. This is the Jordan River right here, the Dead Sea. This is the land of Israel. Here's Jerusalem. Jericho, they're going to cross. They're actually staying right here. This is where they're camped at. That is where Sodom was. That is Sodom. It's being excavated today. There's really no arguing about that. I mean, you always want to be critical, and, but what they've discovered, Dead Sea is not, or Sodom is not way down here in the bottom of the Dead Sea uh, to the south because when Abraham was looking at it, he was standing here at Bethel looking across at it, talking to the Lord about looking over. And this is the Kirkar. It's the circle. It's the circle right here. That, that's the, the, uh, the Rift Valley where the Jordan, you see the mountains right here? Mountains right here. It drops down and there's a, a disc shape right there. It's called the Kirkar. And that is exactly the word used in Genesis. He looked into the Kirkar and saw a beautiful place over there. That's where Lot looked. And that's where Abraham and the Lord are looking before it was destroyed. So that's Sodom, and that's, that's being excavated today. Anyway, that is where Israel came up, passed through this territory. They're not bothering these people at all. They've gone all around and camped right here. Their next target is right here, going to cross and go to Jericho. That's about 14 miles away. This is 14 miles right about here. And you can see here's Jerusalem right here. And you can notice here's the mountains. See how you come out of the plain? And this is a continuous climb as you drive, like we were in a bus a couple times, and you can ride this continuous climb. The bus is just winding and winding as it climbs up into these mountains. Uh, again, and we're not talking snow-capped mountains, just a very high place right here, uh, higher than way down here. The lowest place on earth is obviously right here, the Dead Sea. Water s- goes there and stops. And the water, e- e- the water then evaporates, leaving behind all the minerals that come in, and that's why you get stuff like this. There's a rock from the Dead Sea, and just everything's just covered with salt. Years and years of just water evaporating and the minerals going nowhere except collecting on everything here. It's called the Dead Sea. It, nothing can live there. Okay, Israel is right here. These are the three places, one, two, three, that Balaam is going to go to. Here's another map. There we go. That's my map. I made some improvements on it from last week. Bamoth Baal, the first curse is going to be here. It's not going to end up being a curse. It's going to be a blessing on Israel. The second curse or oracle is going to be right here. That's five miles away. And the final one we're going to get to today, we're going to read this one and this one and the final four after that. Uh, It's four miles away. So from Beth Peor, or this mound right here, it's about four miles. And then there's Jericho across from there. Uh, There's the same thing with that map, 12 miles. Uh... Four miles, this is about five miles, and you can figure out, I put six miles, it's getting close to that, and that's, that's where we're going to be at right there. Bamoth Baal, move over here, uh, Mount Nebo, which is that area there, and Beth Peor, where he's going to see the whole camp, and we'll read what he says from those high places. That's the whole map, you can see all the way over here to Jerusalem. And notice this road right here, this road right here, 
That's a modern road, but it is actually a real, that's a route. So when they came in on this trade route, they would have passed. This is interesting. This is not just a weird, random place. They would have left this, this spice route or this caravan route, crossed through the mountains over here through Beth Peor, down here through where Agent Sodom would have been, and gone across the Jordan right up through here, and that would have been one of the main highways going right here. So this is, the, this is not like obsolete, just maybe today it's tops of mountains and dusty places, but these were active places at that time. Uh, that's Balaam coming from Pethor up here. That's about 420 miles. It would take 22 to 25 days to when, he, when Balak sends his delegates up to find Balaam. It takes 22 to 25 days to get up here. They spend a night, and then it would take him 24 to 25 days to go here. Balaam said no. I mean, it took it was a, like a 50-day process. What would he say? No. I mean, you talk about text, you know, don't want to send a, a, a paper letter. It takes too long. Well, why don't you send delegates? It's like, and 50 days later, what's the answer? I've already texted them five minutes ago, and they haven't even responded. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's like, okay. So times have changed. Then he sent him a second time. So this whole process, when he finally shows up, it was maybe four months of, of waiting and, and negotiating. So he comes down here into this territory. Uh, and this is uh, something we're going to get. This is the last place right here, Beth Peor, looking towards Shittim, ancient Sodom, where Israel's camped at right here. In the background is the Jordan River, and on the other side, see the hills back here? That's the hills of central, central Israel or, or towards where Jerusalem's at. So that would be Beth Peor, the third oracle, talking to here. They're seen about four miles away. Jordan River, on the other side is Jericho. They were rising into, okay, and that's enough of that. And uh, there's that, and that's Carl's message. Okay. <laughs> Let me get something on here. We should actually do this one. This would be a nice one to spend the day with. Oh, good, I did it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, looking at your notes, you see the similar things on page one. I've got things highlighted on page one, Jude verse 11. And we looked at it last week. You got the in the square are the three people, the men, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And their problem is, uh, underline the way of Cain. He had his own way, not God's way. The heir of Balaam. He's going to make an heir. And he's so close. I mean, you get, you're going to have to judge Balaam as he's talking. But when he speaks for the Lord, he does not, he, is, he even gets in trouble. He loses the contract because he won't compromise. He just keeps speaking the word of the Lord. I mean, he's, uh, it's just amazing. And then he, it even says, and he went, and it ends, verse chapter 25, he, he, he goes home. He turns and, and goes home. Then you turn the page and you find out uh, he's still there. He's getting killed because he got involved in some kind of moral corruption of Israel, so he couldn't curse them because of the word of God, but he could manipulate the situation. I, I can use the word of God, but at the same time, come over here and get what I want. So he spoke the word of God, but then came over here and got the prophet at the same time, and it cost him his life, and that would be the heir of Balaam. Uh, and we'll see that. Okay, page one, there's your, your couple maps we've got. Uh, 
to page two, there's just a list of the, the seven oracles. There's seven oracles. We're going to finish them today. Uh, the first three all are blessed. Israel is blessed. The point of them is Israel's blessed. And we read the first one and read part through the second one. Uh, the first and second one are going to involve the seven altars this, with, a, with a bull and a ram on each of the altars. There's going to be a pattern. They're going to have to do these sacrifices. And then when it's all prepared at these first two locations, uh, Bamoth, Baal, and then Mount Nebo in this area here, the second location, Pisgah, uh, they're going to have the altars, have the sacrifices. Balak is supposed to stand by the altar. Balaam is going to go away and then probably practice some form of divination if it's going to be one of the ways that they would, they would, they would seek direction from God. Again, this is paganism. This is not something the Jews did. Uh, but God is the God of all the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So if you want to dabble in the occult, or you want to dabble in reading some kind of animal livers or intestines or the flights of birds to get an oracle from the deity, God can step in and answer. It's like, would he ever do that? Well, you've got the story of Saul uh, Saul goes up to an actual witch that he had called, declared, that's illegal. Here's a class of your elite saying, that's illegal, but then on the backside, they're doing it themselves. And she, he goes to a witch, and she even says, well, Saul's made this illegal. You know, are you sure you want to do this? It's like, yeah, I'm sure. And he's, he's all disguised. And guess who shows up when she goes into the, the underworld and is going to do some kind of necromancy and try to talk to the spirits? Guess who shows up? Again, you've got to decide if this is legitimate or not. It's in the Bible. Uh, Samuel, the prophet, comes back from the dead and freaks everybody out and gives an act. She even says, oh, no, and all of a sudden she can see clearly. She says, you're Saul. This is Samuel. I shouldn't be here. Because there's actually the manifestation of God in this occult practice, and it's all accurate. And Samuel says, you'll be with me tomorrow, Saul. And meaning you're going to die tomorrow, and he goes on and talks about that. So be careful as I talk about these things, and we're not promoting witchcraft but we are not putting god in a box that says god can't just have dominion wherever he wants to he even uses false prophets if he wants i mean now that's going to take place the first two where there's going to be the sacrifices balak's going to stand by the altars and wait balaam's going to go away and we don't he just says he goes away by himself and there he receives a word comes back and it's supposed to be a curse on the camp of israel here at shatim but here, it's like we saw it, he blesses it. And it's like, Balak is like, ah, okay, we need to go to a different location. See, Balak is trying to manipulate the powers, the spiritual powers. So they're going to go, if we go to another location, because these are all high places, probably with some kind of a place that they've already done some kind of pagan worship. He goes, well, I've got another place. Maybe this God will, will curse them from this location. And they do the seven altars, seven bull sacrifices, seven ram sacrifices. You know, you talk about to be a long time traveling. These sacrifices take a long time. And then Balak has to stand by the altar. He's like, the God is speaking. You know, you're going to give me the word. So he's like, so they can see who it is. It's me. The prophet goes somewhere, does whatever he does. You know, pray, you know, cast some dice, lots. You know, they watch birds. It may be they took the liver or the intestines of the animals, the ram or the bull, and there was, and you can see these in museums. There's clay models, and they've got cuneiform writing on them or whatever the culture is, 
and you'd read it's it's actually a teaching i saw it in the british museum it's actually a teaching tool on how to train sorcerers or diviners on here's what the liver looks like but if you see it kind of folded up like this that would indicate this and it's like and they they call it's called reading the liver or reading intestine they they put it out and they go hmm you, know, you dissect a frog or something or a bull and you'd like lay it out the liver and go like okay I'm skilled at reading livers here. Just a minute, let me tell you what the <laughs> will of God is. And they would read the liver. That's how Ashurbanipal would invade, Nebuchadnezzar. They would never go to war except, uh, can we have a sacrifice? And they'd offer sacrifice with God, and then they'd cut over the animal. And ask, what does it say? What's it say? What's the answer? And they would read the liver. Now, it, you've got, again, that's ridiculous. Right, to the Western world, because we don't even believe there's a God. We evolved from snails or something. So it's like reading a liver for the God's will is ridiculous. We're too far beyond that. I would agree it's ridiculous. But for some reason, they did it for centuries. So it wasn't like, well, that's a stupid idea. Somehow, it's, it seems to be working at some level, at least in trickery. And that is possible. When, he, when Balaam goes away, he goes away, and he, he's pr- possibly, it doesn't say so, but he's possibly taking a liver with him. Or he's watching the flight of the birds. How is the gods giving him, and as the birds, I don't know how to read a flight of birds, but you ever seen a flock of birds just all of a sudden fly across, like, stop, God's speaking. Then you'd interpret, you know, I don't know how to do it. I, I struggle with exegeting through the scriptures, let alone reading birds, you know. But anyway, that's what he would do. He would come back. Now that happens here and here. By the time he gets here, three, four, five, six, and seven, uh, something different takes place. There's no sacrifice. There's no one standing there. All of a sudden, he's going to say things like, uh, Balaam, whose eyes are open, whose ears are here, and whose understanding, who now have the knowledge. He's going to like not just see in the spiritual or hear. It's like, oh, no. He's actually going to kind of like, potentially, like the witch that Saul went to. She's doing her little thing with the Ouija board or whatever, and also like, ah, no, this is real. And, and she's like way out of control. It's way beyond her. Uh, Balaam is going to get something like that. So anyway, let me read through these things. But the first three, they all end up blessing Israel. And then comes the fourth. And the fourth oracle, now these are the curses. Moab and Edom are going to be cursed. Now Moab is in, in this area here, but also the Midianites are combined. It seems like there's a coalition between Moab and the Midianites, and they're kind of working together. Like whenever there's a, a group, they're going to have the leaders of Moab and the princes of the Midianites. They're kind of like they came together to stop this in, in invasion of Israel. And so, but this is going to be a cursing of Moab and Edom, which is further south below the Dead Sea. And when Israel came by Edom, they remember when they came the story in numbers when they came around the bottom of the dead sea and this is just flat out interesting that's the dead sea this is edom king's highway comes down here goes through here goes down to gulf of quaba uh, moses is in this general area here he asks edom sends them a letter they're sending letters back and forth we're going to want to pass through and just go this way, you know, they're, they're, this is Jacob's brother Esau, this is Jacob's descendants here, and they just want to pass through. Edom says, no, uh, we, don't, we, we don't trust anybody just passing through like what you guys, I saw what you did in Egypt, what you did to the Amalekites, no, go around. So Moses says, okay, let's, okay, let's, let's try it again. So he sends him a second letter, meaning, uh, you know, can we talk about this? That time they send out a letter with an army that stops at their border. 
with a sign that says, go around. And Moses says, oh man, what do you want us to do? God says, well, you better go around. Because he says, I have not given this land to you. This is the land of Edom. So Moses, the great leader, and Israel, the chosen people, have to like, Moses said, we'll stay on the king's highway. We won't even get off the interstate. We won't even use the truck stop. We, he said, we won't even use your wells. We'll, do, we'll just keep, we want to stop at the truck stops. And they says, no. So Moses had to lead Israel around Edom. And God, he left it up to who? The sovereign nation, Edom. They could have said, yeah, come on through, not a problem. But Edom said, no. God says, I gave it to them. They said, no. It's, it's their land, which is very interesting. Moses didn't smoke Edom. Well, uh, bless God, we're coming through. We're going to take you with us. No, he, he had to walk around. So now they're up here, and they've somehow they've fought a couple kings in here, and they've, they've navigated, probably not going down the main highway. They've navigated their way around, and now they're at Shittim, and they've missed Moab. They haven't messed with the Midianites, and, but they're concerned. It's like, are they circling us? They don't know the plan. They're going to go across here into the promised land. Are they, are they going to come back and get us? So it's like, let's get rid of these people. So Moab is trying to curse them. In the, this, uh, the, the, the fourth oracle, Moab and Edom are going to be cursed in the future. Um, and then uh, the fifth is going to be the Amalekites, the sixth, the Kenites, and then finally the Assyrians. And they're very sh short, fast cursings that are going to be taken around. Uh, page three okay let's go ahead and stop saying that and get started here we go chapter 22 we've already looked at uh the the arrival the chapter 23 we've already read the first oracle um and that's where you know he, he it's it's a blessing and he's doing his his work uh we read through the second oracle last time which comes from this location right here i'm going to read through it again we didn't do a great job of covering it but this is the second oracle. They've already they offered again, built seven altars, seven sacrifices of, of, of bulls, seven sacrifices of rams. Then he says, arise, Balak, and listen. Here, oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, chapter 23 of Numbers, uh, verse uh, 18. And remember, the, the, one of the key things here is these are written in parallel, which means, you know, like I said last week, I'm not sure what I said last week, you know, uh, fall is coming, the leaves are falling, or whatever. You know, the sky is blue, the sun is shining. It's like they're saying the same thing. So if you ever get confused, like, I didn't understand that first line, we'll read the second line, and they're, they're saying the same thing in a general sense. For example, chapter 23, verse 18. Arise, Balak, and listen. That's the king. Hear me, son of Zippor. Well, that's his father's name. Son, he's the son of Zippor. God is, meaning God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. In other words, Zippor, or Balak, sent him over here a second time, says, ask God again. And God's answer to him is, oh man, I'm not a man. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to make a mistake. I'm, I'm immutable. Uh, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? If I've said I'm going to bless these people, you can't come over here and have another sacrifice and me say, oh, I'm not going to, because I just said I'm going to bless. What do you think I met here? I'm, I'm, you can't come over here and make me change my mind. I'm going to bless these people. Well, yeah, but what did you not understand? I'm going to bless these people. And then he says, no misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. 
the Lord, and that is Yahweh, their God, is with them. And literally, he is with them. Looking right down here, they can see the tabernacle. The glory cloud may be rising out. It's like, that's Yahweh. That's not, just, that's not a, an artificial just smoke. That is the presence of God. Yahweh, their God, is with them. And watch this. The shout of the king is among them. And that king is a direct reference to their king. Their king is Yahweh. If you want to, it just stretches all the way through the, the, the gospel, the New Testament, into the book of Revelation. Jesus is there. The, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, is manifested. The Shekinah glory is there. He is the king of Israel. He wanted to be their king, and they eventually asked for Saul. But he right there, he's going to become a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, die on the cross. And, you know, they even put on the cross, king of the Jews. And he is the king. After he pays for the sins, he's going to come back and rule Israel. But he's there already in the tabernacle. So when it says the shout of the king is with them, that's their military leader is Yahweh. It, we would call him Jesus. Now, again, Jesus is the name of the man, but it's, it's the same person. Does that make sense to you? The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king, we'd say Jesus, is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There's no sorcery against Jacob, no divination against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. The people rise like lionesses. They rouse themselves like a lion. What, do, what does not rest till he devours a lion that does not rest until he devours his prey and drinks the blood of his victims. Then Balak said to Balaam, the king says to Balaam, neither curse them at all or bless them. Uh, and then Balaam says, did I not tell you what I must do, whatever the Lord says? The third oracle, verse 27. Then Balak said to Balaam, come, let me take you to another place. Oh, okay, we just got to get the right place and get everything set up right. Okay, this is just not, okay. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them for me from here. Now, what did you not understand when the Lord said last time, first time he says, I'm going to bless them. Well, maybe he'll change his mind. I am not going to change my mind. I'm not a man. I don't change my mind. If I say I'm going to bless him, I'm going to bless him. Okay. Well, let's go over here and ask him again. It's like, that, that's, that's again an example of blind, spiritual blindness. It's like, you're, you're not understanding the word of God. And Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. And that right now, they're right here. Now they're four miles away. And I had a screen up here earlier that I flashed up. You can see it in your notes right there. In fact... Right there it is, bottom of page three. The bottom of page three, you're looking, you're standing here, well, the image, you're standing here looking straight west at uh, Shatim. The Jordan's in the background, and then you're looking toward Jericho's way in the background. So they're four miles around, they're looking down on the camp. And now maybe it will work. And this is where it begins to break down as far as the, the, the seer, Balaam, being in control. Um, Balaam says, verse 24, where am I at here? Fourth oracle. Okay, verse 24. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to... Yes, okay, thank you. Then Balak said to Balaam, come, let me take you to another place. Perhaps it will please the Lord and to let you bless them for me from there. And Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Balaam says, build me seven altars here, prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to sorcery. So they did build the seven altars, the seven sacrifices, but he does not go away. 
He does not ask Balak to stand and wait for him to get back. He, he's looking here. He says, it pleases the Lord to bless Israel. It says, uh, he did not resort to sorcery. Like, so meaning if he was over reading the liver of a bull or something or watching the flight of birds or throwing sticks down and reading how the sticks landed or whatever they were doing. Uh, he turned his face towards the desert. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the spirit came upon him. That's the difference. He stands here. He looks over here. Instead of doing his little routine, he looks, and as he's looking at him, which would mean he's looking at the, the tabernacle, if he can see. I'm not sure. It's four miles away, but he can see the people. Maybe he can see the smoke. But the spirit of God, nonetheless, overcomes him. And this is not his typical oracle. This is, uh, it, it's, it's all been the word of God, we would say. But it's the spirit of God came up on him and he uttered his oracle now the oracle of balaam son of beor the oracle of one whose eye sees clearly and he's talking about his spiritual eye the oracle of one who hears the words of god who sees a vision from the almighty now that that he's going to add something to that in the fourth oracle who sees a vision from the almighty who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened how beautiful are the tents of, O Jacob, your dwelling place, O Israel. Like valleys, they spread out like gardens beside a river. And this is all like vegetation of just growth. Like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. And what's interesting there, cedars grow in the mountains. They don't go down by the rivers. But they're like cedars in the mountains, the majestic trees by a river. So, I mean, that, that's naturally, that's like an oxymoron, but it's like, they're cedars that are in a mountain, but they're so large, it's like they're in a mountain by a river. It's, it, there's just no stopping them. Um, uh, okay, water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. And that uh, f a water flow from their buckets is probably the idea of a, a, some kind of a, a yoke or a pole that a, a man would carry and have a bucket on both ends, like in Egypt, and you're going to carry water from the canal to another location you got people just carrying water and as they're carrying there's so much water it's slopping out of the bucket so that's what it refers to will flow from their buckets their seed will have abundant water and then here it is their king will be greater than agag their kingdom will be exalted now again that word agag is a king that samuel cut the head off it's going to happen around 1500 so it's about 350 years into the future uh so we got to decide about Agag. Is that an adjustment to the scripture? Uh, is that a name like uh, uh, a king, just a general name of like Caesar or Pharaoh? And there's four basic suggestions. And the easiest one is just say that Agag, who's going to be the king of the Midianites, is just like the family name. Even like you've got Melchizedek. And then when you come, when Josh comes in, he kills uh, Melchi-Adonai. Uh, so in other words, the king, King Melchizedek, the king Zedek, the name is similar coming into Joshua's time. So anyway, just so if, you, if you're wanting Agag, he doesn't show for another 350 years. That's maybe the royal title, but nonetheless. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless them be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. Because now, for the third time, he's actually not, not just blessing Israel, he's now turning it into their enemies are cursed. They're going to be, cru you're, 
anybody who opposed them is basically going to have their bones crushed by Israel. Like, well, well, that's me. It's like, ah, and so he's upset, and he's paying good money, or going to pay good money for this. And then Balak's anger burned. Now, one thing all the commentators say right here, it says, and Balak's anger burned. The story begins with uh, uh, everybody now has been angry, uh, starting with uh, Balaam being angry at the donkey, the Lord being angry at Balaam, and now Balak, the one who began the whole thing, is angry at Balaam and the Lord. So it's like it's everybody, every, every person in this story so far has got to a place. It's not working out the way they want to. Uh, and he says, I summoned, oh, and he struck his hands together. In other words, kind of clap. That, that's a, apparently at that culture, like we clap our hands together. People do it still in some ways. But it was like a sign of rejection. Like they clap their hands. That's like snapping your fingers or whatever. Uh, I summoned you to carry my, uh, curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. So he knows exactly what's taken place, that it's been an utter failure. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but watch this line. But the Lord, Yahweh, has kept you from getting your reward. I was going to give you something, but your God prevented me from blessing you. It's like, ooh. Now again, depending on where you're at in your spectrum of spiritual growth, uh, if you're on the low side, that could be devastating emotionally. I could have been a contender if I would have just compromised. But as you mature, the more you mature, it's like the last thing I want is reward from the world. But again, we've all been on that spectrum, and I, you know, I, I'm constantly fluctuating on that spectrum. But that, 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 that could be a real blow to someone that's, in a sense, immature or not walking in fellowship. God prevented you from getting what I could have given you. Oh, man, I made a mistake. On another side, it's like, well, that means I'm in good company because the last thing I want is the world recognizing me for my achievements. Balaam answered Balak, and he said, this is, again, you've, this is what's hard and sobering for me because you can just go, Balaam is a loser. And you go to the book of Jude, Balaam's a loser. But so far in our story, Balaam has said nothing but the word of God and has even identified his ministry as, I can't say anything unless Yahweh allows me to. And now you're going to take my money away? It's like, he's not going to say, oh, wait. Is there something? I, it's like, he's going to say, hey, I told you. You can give me all the money in the world, but I can't only do this. So, so far, Balaam. Uh, now, again, and you can, be crit- and again, you can be critical that he's messing, reading, possibly reading the livers of bulls and watching birds and doing all this kind of divination, trying to find the will of God. And, and, and you should, because that's paganism. But he's not... He's not Jewish. He's not, he's not in the temple. He's not amongst the people of God. He's not down here in this camp with the, the priesthood and the, and the priestly garments and the Urim and the Thummim and the, and the sacrifices and all the rituals and everything God has established. That's just right here. The rest of the world doesn't have. It's like, well, why don't they go to the temple? There is no, why don't they go to church? There's no, why don't they go to the word of God? It's like, they're getting as close as, as far as we can understand. There's, it's not like, well, God left, you know, Mount Ararat and came down and got in the tabernacle. I mean, where's God been this whole time? I mean, Moses or Abraham went, went up to Mount Moriah to apparently a, a, a Jebusite or Canaanite place of worship, and that's where he offered Isaac on the altar. So it's like, well, he, he should have gone. That's eventually where the temple's going to be. But there, I'm just saying... 
there's some room to give him some slack and say that he's a, 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 a good man or a, a, an honest prophet, but he's going to, from that, and that's what's scary about the book of Jude. If you give Balaam some credit here, if you just say he's a loser from the get-go, oh, he's a wicked man, he's like, well, then I'm fine, because <laughs> I'm certainly not a wicked man. But this man is proclaiming the word of God, consistently losing worldly rewards because he's proclaiming the word of God. It's like, that's, that's, that's what the guy I want to be. That's, guy, I, I would identify, I, that's who I want to be. But all of a sudden, he's going to suddenly make an heir and lose it all. It's like, that's the sobering part of Jude. It's like, you, we, I, I believe in eternal s- security, but as you live your life, your, your decisions are going to manifest the level of your faith. You know, I mean, it's like, if you're just a, just a, a wannabe, you're just kind of hanging around and you're saying the right things, you've got a career as a prophet or a career as a preacher, a career as a pastor, it's like, oh, yeah, a career as a pastor doesn't mean you're, you're in. It means your career as a pastor. Are you going to pass the test? Well, I'm, I'm in church every Sunday. I'm proclaiming the word of God every Sunday. It's like, right, but what happens if this pops up? Are you going to follow Balaam's there? Balaam was proclaiming the word of God too, but did a nosedive okay that's that's the serious part about this okay anyway uh i summoned you i'm in verse verse 10 now balak's anger burned against balaam and he struck his hands together and says i summoned you to curse my enemies but you blessed them these three times now leave at once and go home i said i would reward you handsomely but the lord has kept you from being rewarded balaam answered balak did i not tell the messengers you sent me way in the beginning even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, and he quotes himself, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, or go beyond the command of the Lord. The command of the Lord. And I must say only what Yahweh says. Now I am going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. I mean, he, he said, okay, I'm done. I, I tried. One, two, three, three oracles. And finally, Balaam, Balaam said, we're done. He, I mean, he, he's firing him. We're done here. And Balaam said, I told you I could only do what I says. He says, but before I go, do you want to find out what's going to happen in the future? And so we got, the fun is right here, we've got four more oracles. We've got oracle four, five, six, and seven. This one is the big one. These are short ones, fortunately for you. But now we're going to switch from talking about, in one, two, three cases, the first three, he's talking about the past, where they came from, talking about the present, where they're going, what's going to happen. But now we go into the future. He's not going to necessarily be talking about they came out of Egypt, God has blessed these people. It's like, well, now that we have established the fact that Israel's blessed, uh, you're in the way. And what's going to happen to all these people that are around them? And it very clearly, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. That is an eschatological phrase, in the days to come, or in the final days, ultimately in the end. So that, that is what we call an eschatological reference. So here's Balaam's fourth oracle. Now notice there's no burning sacrifice, there's no building altars, they're standing right here. This is Balaam, just, the Spirit of God is just flowing through him then he uttered his oracle the oracle of balaam son of beor the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly the oracle of one who hears the word of god who has knowledge from the most high 
So my eye sees, my ear hears, and it's beyond that. I've got understanding. I understand what I'm saying. So which is, again, a, a cool reference, meaning I un, I, it's been revealed to me. I understand what I see and what a prophet could see or hear and just kind of relay the message. Do you understand it? Not really. I, I just know this is what God is saying. Just write it down. See what happens. But no, I see it. I hear it. But oh, I can tell you what this means. I also have knowledge, which again is scary because we're being told don't follow Balaam's heir. So far right now, I would like to be this guy. I mean, this would be the guy I want to say, I see, I hear, I understand what God is saying here. But then pretty soon something's going to crash. Uh, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are open. And there, here it is, verse 17. This is a reference to the Messiah. There's really no doubt about it. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, he's in the spiritual realm. He's seeing, he's hearing, and he's understanding. He says, there he is. He says, he's there. I, I can see him, but he's not here. He, he's there, but he's not near. This, this is something from the future. We're going to go through a whole lot of history before this shows up. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Uh, two things. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And so two things, a star and a scepter. And the star would refer to a king. This is, uh, Isaiah refers to the king of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Babylon being a star. Uh, I've got some other examples in the notes I'm going to show you. The scepter would be the rule, the rule of a king. I see a king, he, he's going to come out of Jacob. He's going to come out of these, these very people. There's gonna, he's, now he's not, you don't need to worry about him. He's not there. Now, again, the shout of the king is there. He's there, the Shekinah glory. But no, 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 there's, there's a, a man coming out of that camp. And it, it, well, what we know, the king that he saw in the third oracle is going to become a man in the fourth oracle. And when he comes, he's going to take physical action himself against you. Right now, he's there. Uh, but he's not near. He, you're not going to see him, but he's there. Uh, the king and the scepter. And what he's going to do is it says, he will crush uh, the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Now, the word Sheth right there, that is, it, it, it could go way back to Adam's son. Uh, that, that'd be, you know, the big, good portion of mankind. Uh, and that's one option. But when you read this in parallel, Seth, Sheth would be, there's other people named Sheth, would be one of the relatives that relates back to Moab. So in other words, he's talking now about this people here, the people of Moab over here, are going to be crushed. And he just uses two names for them, and that would be a, an ancestor of the Moabites at that time, if that makes sense. And that's one of those examples of where the parallel writing helps you interpret. Otherwise, it's like, we're talking about Moab, then we're talking about the whole human race. It's like, well, that's not a parallel. Uh, and you could do that if you want to, but nonetheless, the skulls, of the, and the skulls and the foreheads is the head, meaning their entire power is going to be eliminated. Once your head is crushed, you're not going to recover. Like the Garden of Eden. The, the, the saint will bruise his heel, but the Messiah is going to crush Satan's head. In the battle, he's going to be injured, but you recover from a bruised heel, especially if your bruised heel is crushing the enemy's head. So in the process of crushing Satan's power, there's going to be an injury, but we'll recover. In this case, 
the star that comes out of Jacob, the, the scepter that rises out of Israel. And we know this from Jacob's last prophecy at the end of Genesis, that he blesses and refers to all of 12 of his sons. And when it comes to Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah until it comes to the one it belongs. And so the rulership tribe of Israel, Jacob, and Judah, there's going to be the king, the Messiah is going to be Abraham, then from Isaac, then from Jacob, and then Jacob's got 12 sons, then it goes right to Judah. And so this is talking about someone coming from the tribe of Judah, thus David and Solomon and all the kings, but ultimately all those prophecies. So some of these prophecies have a near and then a future fulfillment because David's going to do many of these things. David will do many of these things, and he's not, he's not there yet, but David will be the answer to some of these things. David will do these things. But this is definitely in an eschatological sense. That's the future, the near fulfillment, the distance in, in, in the end times. That's going to be Jesus or the Christ, the ultimate. The king that is in the Shekinah glory there in the tabernacle is going to become a man, the seed of David. And that all begins with the Garden of Eden, Jacob's prophecy about his son Judah, then all the way up to the son of Jesse. But nonetheless, uh, Edom will be conquered. Seir, that's another name for Edom. That's one of the main parts of Edom. His enemy will be conquered, but Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. So there's going to be anybody who survives, there will be a, a ruler that will come and destroy them. So that is the great prophecy. In your notes, just so you can see this, uh, I've got this probably on the back page very quickly. Uh, the fourth oracle, oh yeah, the fourth oracle, the bottom of page three, and then it continues on the top of page four. It says, there's no standing by the sacrifice, no going away. Balaam claims to see, hear, and have knowledge. And then point six, the star is the word kokab, K-O-K-A-B in Hebrew. Uh, now that's interesting. Uh, there's, this is the star being royalty is Isaiah 14, referring to the king of Babylon. Revelation 22, Jesus is the bright and morning star. The birth of Christ, a star appeared. And to keep this in mind, when we say, uh, this is not a slam dunk, but when we say kings or the magi came from the east, we think Persia, the east. But if you also think east, this is east over here, and the, the east is going to be influenced from Persia. It's going to be influenced down here, especially in Arabia. And so that whole idea could have, they could have been, the magi could have been coming on the trade routes of the Arabians down here, right in the same territory where this prophecy, the star prophecy was given. And that, especially when they come and then they escape and they're not found. Because it's like to go back through this whole territory, they just went back down to this territory here of Arabia. So that, that, that fits in a lot of more ways than just that. But nonetheless, uh, there's a start of the birth of Christ. The Qumran, over here, the Dead Sea Scrolls right here at, at Qumran, where they found here, they're writing about this star and they're using it as a reference of the Messiah. And that would be during the, day, the New Testament times, the Jews were writing outside of Christianity about this being a reference to the Messiah. Interestingly, in 100 BC, the Hasmonean king, Alexander Janus, uh, he became the, 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 the Maccabees, became the Hasmonean group, the tribe, uh, our clan, and they became the royalty, the priests and the king. And Alexander Janus put the star on his coin 
putting this verse and his rulership that he was this star that claiming it for the family. So they're starting to use it in 100 BC. I've got three examples right here of fragments of, those are the, the earliest form of the, uh, the widow's mite. There's some that were produced 100 BC by the Maccabees and another pr- production around 9 AD. But you can see the star, I'll pass that around. Not now, it'd be too confusing for everybody. And uh, a guy named, uh, a rabbi named Akiba, uh, in, in 132, right around 132, this after Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, in 132, another revolt against the Romans broke, which is amazing. The Jews were crushed in 70 AD, destroyed. By 132, they've got enough ability to revolt against Rome a second time and, and eliminate one of the legions. They, they, they eliminated one of the legions at that time. So there was a, it was a three-year battle. It wasn't just a week-long you know, the month of October, they had a, you know, like 1973, a little month-long skirmish. It was a three-year battle again in 132. And that's where a leader was Simon bar Rabbi Akaba changed his name from Simon Bar, Bar means son of, Kosaba changed his name to, he's Simon bar Kokba. In other words, that's that word right here, star. He's Simon bar that's the name of his father, Kosheba. No, 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 this is Simon, the son of the star. This is the man. So in one, uh, 132, this prophecy was used to stamp the approval of a rebel to lead the Jews against the Romans again, and they were going to fulfill this prophecy. So it's very clearly in the Jewish mind, this is talking about someone who's going to come as a man and defeat the surrounding nations. Again, the Jews are waiting for that today. Again, just a little preface right here. I support Israel, okay? I support Israel. But understand, and I've, I've said it for years, I've got it in books, Israel does not support me. Do you understand this? This is not a love feast between Christianity and Israel. I support Israel because Israel is the chosen people i mean who wants to come against them i mean just read the verses i mean you want to jump in this fight right here i don't go israel say well that's cowardly that's not very political right i don't know i'm not looking for a reward here i'm looking to be like well done thou good and faithful servant don't touch israel uh and again i think israel i think israel is restored today i think they're heading somewhere as some people say that's not even really israel i think it's israel restored and i think some things could happen uh, you know, we never know. But I mean, this all Israel's got to do is have someone come in and sign a universal peace treaty with them for seven years. So you have the Temple Mount. It's okay, we'll take the Temple Mount. We'll leave whatever, leave, you know, the Gaza Strip. Okay, just give us the Temple Mount. And then they come to rescue the Christians? No, that's when, if that, if that takes place, that's the Antichrist giving them a peace treaty. And what does the Antichrist do for the first three and a half years of that peace treaty? kill christians and the jews are like stop the holocaust stop killing the christians they're like whatever and they're up here sacrificed they're not going to come to your rescue okay now again i'm not going to blame them but i'm not going to judge them i mean it's like do what's going to have to do my point they already identified this star including in 132 as being bar Kokhba, and then he was defeated and they have found in the in the in the caves they have found uh, a letter written by him and his signature, which is kind of cool, a bar copa. I mean, if you're into archaeology. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's just like a few years away from finding a, a signed letter from Paul. But nonetheless, uh, they're still waiting for this star. 
And most likely, that Antichrist is going to be that star. They're going to think, this is the star that's going to set us free and, and deliver us from all the enemies. And then after three and a half years, they're going to be like, what? And they're going to be completely confused. And then eventually, Zechariah 14, they'll see the one they pierced and mourn for him. And that's when they're going to have a national revival. And we can talk about that, and we have in the past. But that's still hanging there. And that star, I think, is, nonetheless, I mean, that's, that's Jesus. Okay. When he comes, Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Balaam's final oracle. Then Balaam saw Amalek. Somehow he looks there and sees the Amalekites and utters this oracle. Amalek was the first among nations, but he will become, come to ruin. This fifth, sixth, and seventh, five, six, and seven, all of them, he identifies the nation, and then it ends with, and he will come to ruin. So all, all three of these, he identifies the nation, and he will come to ruin, identifies the nation, and he will come to ruin, identifies the nation, and he will come to ruin. So Israel, bless, bless, bless. Moab and Edom, curse, boom, boom, boom. Everyone else, it's like you're not touching Israel. Uh, then the, the f- sixth article, verse 21, then he saw the Kenites and uttered his oracle. Your dwelling place is secure. Your nest is set in a rock, possibly down towards Edom. Yet your, you Kenites will be destroyed when Asher, which is another name for Assyria, takes you captive. And again, that could be prophetic of the rising Assyrian power in 700, 800 BC. But then what about Assyria? Verse 23, then he uttered his oracle, ah, who can live when God does this? Ships will come from the shores of Kittim. That is Greece. That would be Cyprus. Ships are going to come from the west uh, that they will subdue Asher and Eber. And that would be Asher would be the Assyrians and Eber, which is interesting because that is also the way we get the word Hebrew from. The Hebrews come there, but they can branch off and they'd still be back in Babylon. So that'd be the Greeks will come and destroy the Babylon and the Persians and the Assyrian in that area there. And that's exactly, that's Alexander, all the way to Alexander. But they too will come to ruin. In other words, the ships are going to come. In other words, he's taking Daniel's prophecy right here. And, and, and is what you got in Daniel's prophecy, he does this right here. It takes that whole thing and condenses it right here with just uh, uh, that, that quick reference. Okay, so that seems pretty good. Uh, and he, he's going to go away. Watch this, verse 25. Then Balaam got up and returned home, and Balak went on his way. And that is what some people call the book of Balaam. And he got back and he went home. It's like, good. Balaam's my hero. Balaam's my new hero. He did the right thing, lost the reward, went home empty-handed. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Balaam. Okay. Okay. And that, that, so he appears to have, have left. But then something happens. Here we go. I've got... One minute. <laughs> Chapter 25, I, I can't do it. I, I'll refer to it, but I, I'll, I'll pick this up and go on next week. We'll go back to Jude next week. While Israel was staying at Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to a sacrifice to their gods. All of a sudden, Balak is standing here wanting to curse Israel and Balaam says, I told you, I can't, I just told you all of history. I mean, all of history is going to hinge on this king coming from this camp that's going to crush the world and rule it himself. I can't touch that. And he goes home. Balak is, but then all of a sudden, while he's here, 
the Moabite women come down into the camp. And they say, uh, we'd like to invite you guys to a sacrifice, to a church dance party, a, a church reception, a, a, a church... Uh, whatever and, and, and potluck <laughs> church potluck <laughs> we just we would like to make you some potato salad <laughs> and all the men go are you making the potato salad <laughs> yes honey i'll make the potato salad and it's like well i think we can make it <laughs> and all the men and uh it says and, and mobile women who invited them to a potluck <laughs> to, to their gods the people ate and bowed down before these gods so Israel joined in worship with Baal of Peor, and that would be the God who's worshipped here at this high place, Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. And it goes on and talks more about this. And if you go over to, there's several things take place as the camp organization chapter up to 31. But in chapter 31, and we'll pick this up next week, uh, then the, the Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites, for the Israelites, after that, you will be gathered to your people. So a, uh, uh, Moses' last battle is for what took place right here, is to get vengeance on the Midianites, and then we're going to take you back to Mount Nebo, and uh, you're, uh, you're going to uh, be done. Uh, and they end up destroying them. And you can look in verse, chapter 31, uh, verse 8, and then we'll pick this up next week. Among their victims, when they went, they started they were going in there just slaughtering people, just slaughtering people. It's like, it's like going to the Gaza Strip. Among their victims were, these are the leaders, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Her, Reba, the five kings of Midian. So you see, they're going to the Moabites, but the five kings of Midian were there helping. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. The Israelites captured, so ba but Balaam's, Balaam's there yet. And then verse 16. Um, Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now, it goes on and talks about all that. And we'll pick that up next week. So, right there in those two verses, we got one more verse. You can check it out in Joshua. Uh, Balaam left, but somehow, we don't know the details, he turns back. He doesn't just give advice and leave. He goes, turns back with advice, and stays long enough to be there after the potluck. When uh, Moses says, go slaughter him, he's still there with them. And Balaam dies. So all this legendary prophecy prophecy the Jews are still following and we're still waiting to be fulfilled possibly prophecy that Daniel copied and referred to that was accurate the prophet himself dies because he advised he said I, I can't curse them but you can certainly make their God mad at them and lure them away and they worshiped other gods and God's anger burned against them and we'll talk there's a plague comes strikes them and then Moses goes through, and he's going to destroy three groups of people. He's going to, first of all, after this is all done, before he goes over here and, and, and defeats the media, he says, you're going to have to kill all the leaders. All, which is interesting. All the leaders that let this happen, kill them. Then find everyone who participated in that and kill them. And then Phineas is going to come by and kill another guy who brings 
another guy who brings, her name is Cosby, brings Cosby, who's one of the daughters of one of the leaders, into the camp while everyone's in front of the tabernacle mourning and crying out to God because of the plague and all the destruction. He brings this daughter of one of the priests in, or whatever, one of the leaders, her name's Cosby, into his tent, and he walks right by everybody at the tabernacle. They're all crying, crying out for mercy. He brings her in and takes her into his tent. And Phineas would be we, uh, 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 Aaron's grandson, sees it and goes into the tent with a spear and pins them both to the ground. Boom, like that. And God then, you know, ends the plague, honors Phineas for acting on the anger of God. Uh, we'll pick that up next week. Uh, like, hey, how many times we got to say we'll pick that up next week? But we will, and I appreciate you sticking <laughs> with the story. Father, do thank you for the chance to hear these words. We ask that we would seriously consider our own salvation, but also our walk with you, that we are going to continue the walk and finish in good faithfulness to you. We would not be distracted by the things of the world, but would do the things that you've called us to. We do thank you again for these examples. We thank you for the spirit that abides within us and for Christian fellowship to help strengthen and encourage us. We do ask you to continue to lead and guide each one of us. Be with Israel as you always are, but also be with our nation as we seek revival. We seek guidance in these days of confusion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.